Let me ask you a quick question, all right? How many of you have ever taken your kids or your grandkids to this place? Let me just tell you a quick confession. I, 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 obviously, I'm Baptist, so I don't believe in the concept of purgatory. But if purgatory exists, this is it, right? Chuck E. Cheese, right? Worst pizza in America, and you spend more money you can imagine on skee-ball and games. Here's what happens when we go to Chuck E. Cheese. We go in, my kids want money, they want, they want coin, you gotta get them tokens, you know, you can't get like real quarters anymore because they, they want to make sure they get all the money they can. So you get tokens and you go and you play games, and my kids gravitate to the ticket games. You know what I'm talking about? Skee-ball, pop a shot, um, they've got the deal or no deal now, they've got all these games, and when you score in a game, depending on your score, what do you get? Tickets, right? And typically what happens with me is I go sit down and have two pieces of terrible pizza. My kids go out and they play for 10 minutes, come back, and they've already spent the $300 I'd given them. Right? No, I don't give them that much. But, you know, I mean, they've already spent all the money. we got to have more. We need more tickets. we got to have more tickets. And then at the end of the day, when we've given the five-minute warning eight times and it's finally time to leave, they come to me and they say, Dad, here are my tickets. Let's go get something. And I'll take their 4,012 tickets. We'll feed them. And they're given to me like this, right? Not neatly folded or put together. It's like, Dad, here they are. And they feed them through the machine. You take your receipt and you go up to the counter and you say, let's see what you can get. And we can get a little bouncy ball and one junior mint. That's it. Right? Like, it's worth nothing. I've spent $200 for one of those hands that sticks to the wall. Because these tickets aren't worth anything at all. They're not worth very much inside Chuck E. Cheese. But right now, you're not going to give me anything for these tickets. And yet, it's funny to watch in Chuck E. Cheese as people walk around Chuck E. Cheese with their tickets, counting them, and it becomes a source of pride. Look how many tickets I've got. In the church, for far too long, we have glamorized and glorified the ticket carriers. Now, our tickets aren't one playing skee-ball. They're one from, I read my Bible today. And I went to Sunday school every week last month. And I helped down at that local ministry. And I gave to that. And I've been in this church for 30 years. And I taught Sunday school for 15 years. And you're carrying around your tickets of here's what I've got. You know the problem with that, right? Those tickets aren't worth anything. In fact, here's a passage of scripture from Isaiah 64, 6. And it says, we have all become like one who is unclean. Now, um, y'all are all biblical scholars here. I mean, you got those tickets, right? When it says unclean, what's it talking about? I, I need you to say it because y'all will get offended if I say it. That, that's not what it's talking about here. In the law, when it talks about someone being unclean, what does it mean? means they can't be around anybody. Why? Because there's something physically that had happened. Now, let's just okay, broaden a little bit. In the Old Testament law, 
women were considered unclean at certain times of the month. Correct? We're old enough to talk about that, right? That's what that unclean means. We have become like a woman in that time of the month. And to put the point home, it says, and our righteous deeds, our tickets, are like a polluted garment. Now, I'm not going to connect the dots for you because some of you would run out of here if I did. But you connect the dots from an unclean woman and a polluted garment. And this is what the Lord says. That's what our, what's this word? Righteous deeds. That's us at our very best. You and I, on our very best day, doing our very best work, accomplishing our absolute best, are like filthy, polluted garments. Our tickets aren't worth anything at all. Now, that can be offensive because we like what we do. And listen, some of you are like, well, I ain't ever coming back to church again. Never read my Bible again, never praying again. That's not the point. The point is that for too long we have celebrated those who trumpet their righteous deeds when our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before the Lord. Amen? Nobody want to say amen to that. I got some... mm, I don't know where that is. And yet, we as Christians have become increasingly involved in displaying our tickets, not only before each other in the church, but before the world at large. You see, in our world, there is this understanding that as Christians, we should have a different mindset of those that are not in Christ. In fact, it's almost like there is this circle where Jesus is in the center. I think we've got an illustration. We got that circle up. There it is. And really, you can only exist in one of two areas on this circle. You can either be in the circle or you can be out of the circle. And here's the thing about this circle. This circle has the exact amount of grace wherever you are in the midst of the circle, no matter how close you are to Jesus or how far you are away. If you are in Christ, in the circle, then you are saved and grace has been applied. And it doesn't matter if you are walking with Jesus every step of every day as close to perfection as can be. Or whether you're the guy that has somehow tripped and stumbled into grace across that line. And you make mistakes all the time. Wherever you are in the circle, the same amount of grace is applied to every one of us. Because it doesn't matter what our works are because they're like filthy rags before God. Right? Are you tracking with me? So how do you get in the circle? Well, what does it require to get in the circle? Does it require a bunch of tickets? Can we go to the counter of God and we get to God and say, God, let me show you. Hey, I read my Bible five days in a row and I, I, that R-rated movie that came out, I didn't go see that. Oh, and that, uh, don't forget that Facebook post I put up that really slammed those people that were doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Don't forget that Facebook post. Oh, and don't forget about the fact that there are certain uh, ways that I vote. Don't forget that I vote certain ways, God, and I, I want you to remember that. Is that how you get into heaven? Is that how you enter into the relationship with Jesus? 
How do you get here? You believe. John 3.16. Y'all know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, sometimes when we talk about grace, we fail to see the scandal that it is. Because you know what the scandal of following Jesus is? The scandal is that God applies his grace to everyone, no matter who they are or where they came from or what they've done. Today, here's what I want to do. I want to look at a guy who had all the tickets in the world and realize that it was never enough to follow Jesus. If you got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Quick question, who wrote Philippians? Paul, right? Paul's a pretty good guy, right? If I were to ask you, outside of Jesus, the most influential people in the history of the world for the sake of Christianity, Paul is going to be way up on that list. Like, first. Right? In Philippians chapter 3, he's talking to the Philippians, obviously. People that he loves about, that he cares about. In fact, the Philippian church is one of the churches that Paul loved the most, that cared about the most. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he is starting kind of a transition. And this is what he says. Finally, my brothers, which, by the way, just, just so you know, that has been the source of pastor jokes for many, many years. Because Paul says finally, and then he writes for two more chapters. Right? It's kind of like the little girl that asked her mom in service one day, what does it mean when the pastor says my last point? She says, absolutely nothing. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Be happy. Be excited. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safer. He says, I'm, I'm just going to remind you of something I told you about. Probably when he was there, I just want to remind you something. And this is what he says in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here's what he says, all right? Be careful. There are some people out there that are trying to tell you some stuff and you don't need to listen to them. Now, he identifies them as three things, all right? First of all is dogs. Now, in our society, dogs are pets. They're lovable. They're adorable. They're your snuggles. People put sweaters on their dogs. People have, uh, there are these new things where you can have an iPad on your dog's water bowl. So when you're at work, you can FaceTime with your dog. I'm a dog person and that's too much. In Jewish society, dogs were not lovable, furry pets. You know what they would be kind of akin to today? They were considered scavengers and that people that fed off of dead animals, people that ran through the streets. You know what? I, I saw one of these going across the, the uh, um, I was out early a couple of days ago and I saw one going across the street on my way into work. It, it, it looked almost like a possum. Y- y'all love possums? Uh, one time I went out to my, to my uh, garbage pail out there, you know, and went in and I looked and there was a possum that had crawled up to try to get something out of my garbage, and his neck had gotten stuck in the wheel and had died. Now, so I thought, well, i got to get that possum up, but the first thing i got to do is make sure that the possum is dead, because possums are known for... And if I poke this possum and that thing comes after me, it ain't going to be pretty, right? 
I don't, I don't mind telling you, a possum running after me is not what I want to see. And so I, I kind of looked at it for four or five days and realized that it was dead. And when Susan was threatening to move to another house, unless we got rid of it, I went and got the shovel and I picked up the possum and disposed of it. I'm not having a possum as a pet. I realize there are probably people that do. You know what we call those people? Crazy. He says, look out for those scavengers. Those things that go in the night and take care of other animals for their food. Look out for the evildoers, the ones that are working consistently to bring evil instead of good. And so far, we don't know who he's talking about. This could have been anybody. But when he says the next phrase, we know. Look for those who mutilate the flesh. There was a group of people that always came in behind Paul. It's almost like they stood on the outside of the city. They watched Paul. And when Paul left town, they moved in. And they went in and said, I know Paul told you a lot of things about grace and about Jesus, and that's all well and good. But you do realize Jesus was a Jew. And in order to be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew. And in order to be a Jew, that means you've got to be circumcised. I know we've already talked about women on one end today. And while we're talking about men, I'm really going to walk in the tightrope today. But you can imagine how big of a commitment circumcision was for a 30-year-old man. And they would come in and say, that's all you've got to do. Get circumcised, follow the Jewish laws, and believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved. And Paul's had it. He's tired of playing games, and he's tired of saying nice things. So he brings out the big guns and says, look out for those scavengers, those evildoers, those people that mutilate the flesh, because they are not of Christ, because Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Any tickets plus Jesus is not the gospel. It is Jesus alone. Amen? For we are the circumcision. He is right at him. He goes, we are the ones that are circumcised. It doesn't matter about physical circumcision. It matters about your heart and what you believe. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put absolutely no confidence in our tickets, in our flesh, in what we do. And then Paul says this. But if anybody has reason to boast, if any has reason for confidence in the flesh when it comes to Judaism, I'm better. Paul's going to brag a little bit, but it's a reverse kind of idea. He says, I've got more. And then he lists the reasons. These are the reasons he's confident in the flesh. Circumcised on the eighth day. True Jews were circumcised on the eighth day. In fact, you could be circumcised on the Sabbath because they thought circumcision was more important than keeping the Sabbath. And so if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, you were given permission to be circumcised. Paul says, I followed the laws from birth. People of Israel. That means not just that I have Israeli parents or people of the nation of Israel. That means that I was born into this family of people. I am born a Hebrew. From the tribe of Benjamin. It's one of the better tribes. It's one of the best tribes. The first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. And some people think that Saul, who became Paul, is named after the first king of Israel. A Hebrew of Hebrews. What that means is, in their day and time, all kinds of people were giving into the culture around them. 
They were learning different languages. They were following different customs. And Paul says, my family and myself have done everything we can do to speak Hebrew, to live as Hebrews, and to be Jewish in a culture that is not. As to the law of Pharisee, now usually when we talk about Pharisees, they're the bad guys, right? They're the boo-hiss guys. But in this case, what we're talking about here is that he's saying when it comes to the law, I was the part of the party that followed it as closely as we could. I persecuted the church. Listen, there was this new uprising. I was one of the leaders in persecuting it. And when it comes to righteousness under the law, now notice he doesn't say righteousness according to Jesus. He doesn't say righteousness according to God. He just says, according to righteousness under the law, I did everything I could. I got my, I did my sacrifices for my sin. I followed the customs. I followed the traditions. He's not saying He's perfect here. What he's saying is, if you could make it by the law, I did. That's a good resume. Now, I know when you look at it, it's not near as impressive as it was to the Jewish believers in Philippi. But this is the kind of resume that comes across your desk for a job. And you say, this guy's way overqualified. Then Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, he speaks almost in accounting terms, gain and losses. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Paul says, all these tickets that I accumulated in my life are worth absolutely nothing. Because now I know Jesus. In fact, he gets a little stronger with his comparison. He says, This is the next verse. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Think about this. Paul was no longer considered a Pharisee or a ruling member or any of good status in the Jewish community. Today, we think of Paul in the highest pedestal possible. In their day and time, Paul was an outlaw and a guy that had abandoned his family and his faith. He has suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Can I tell you something about that word? It's the only time it's used in the entire New Testament. And the word rubbish is the kindest possible way that you can interpret it. The meaning of that is that I count all my tickets as the stuff you wipe off the bottom of your shoe when you step in it. You know what I mean by step in it? Like dog stuff again. The the teenage way or the childish way, not teenage, the child way to say this is, I consider all this as poop. But that word is much stronger in the Greek than poop. And if to give you an actual saying of what it means, many of you would be very offended and not hear the rest of the message. Paul says, that's what my family and my upbringing and my good works is worth. Filthy rags poop all of that is rubbish in order that i may gain christ be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in jesus the righteousness from god that depends on faith paul says that your family lineage that what you've done in life that the goodwill that you've accomplished, that the moral law that you followed, that the good things that you've done, none of it matters. In fact, I think we've got a slide that just kind of points that out. 
Paul says that family heritage, social status, intellect, religious activity, and moral lifestyle are rubbish. Can I tell you something? And my parents are here today, so you can ask them about this when you leave if you really want to check up on me. If you looked at my resume in college and high school, man, it was good. Valedictorian of my senior class, student council vice president, class president, highest ACT that had ever been won by somebody that, or gotten by somebody that went to Union University, full ride scholarship, never paid a dime for school, almost 4.0 GPA, the hardest track level of religion at Union. Mr. Union voted on by the campus, the person that got the most votes on campus there. Played sports, did all right. I wasn't going to be an NBA all-star or anything, but I was okay. My resume was good, but it ain't anything. Do you know how much people care about that today? Not a bit. Some of you are like, ooh, I got some things to tell about my pastor. I'm glad to know that. It is a pile of poop. Because I know the most important thing in my life is none of that. It's following Jesus Christ. What Paul says is this. That the only treasure worth following in life is Jesus. So does that mean we need to stop reading our Bible and stop coming to church and stop praying? No, no. All that is good stuff. But let's go back to the circle picture for a second. The reason that we do this stuff is because Jesus has brought us into the circle and we're grateful for it. It's not in any way to try to earn something from him. And the simple question I want to ask you today, because we're talking about grace for the next few weeks, is this. Are you in the circle? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and the work that he's done for us? Or are you trying to get by on what you've done? And listen, I know this is the 830 crowd. These are the people that have been in church the longest. But here's what I'm afraid of. That sometimes you can be in church so much, you can be in church so long, that you are so confident in your tickets that you have completely missed Jesus. And there are people that are in church today for the, and have been in church for 50 years consecutively that are still lost because they are on the outside trying to accumulate tickets instead of trusting in Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're 15 years old or 75 years old. If you're not in the circle, you are not saved. It doesn't matter how many tickets you have accumulated. It doesn't matter how many times you have helped. It doesn't matter how many yards you have mowed. It doesn't matter how many business meetings you've attended. It doesn't matter how many committees you've been on. It doesn't matter what your attendance record looks like in Sunday school. It doesn't matter what you've done. That is all rubbish. What matters is, are you in the circle? Paul says, I count everything in my life as loss. Rubbish. Dog poop compared to knowing Jesus. And that's all that matters. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of of response. Jeff's going to come and sing and we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And it's going to be like some of you have witnessed almost every week of your life. And for some of you, it's become so comfortable and normal that it's just the let's get this thing over so we can get out of here time. But this morning, I want you, if you don't do anything else, to answer that one simple question. Are you in the circle? Let's pray together.